This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. They have close to 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from, with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com, and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets, we are Star Trek. Hi, this is Michelle Specht. I play Dr. Elise McKenna on Star Trek Continues. Oh my god, I'm totally fangirling right now because I just met Dan Davidson and Bill Smith of the Trek Geeks podcast. Oh my gosh, they are amazing. From Matranya Distillery at Podfleet Command, it's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, one and all. Ladies, gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome to the Trek Geeks Podcast. We are so excited that you're here for episode number 192. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. We're going to talk about, well, the, the episode that was my entryway into the franchise, the very first Star Trek episode I ever saw. And it's only taken us almost five years to talk about, of course, by we. I do mean my co-host and I. He is somebody that I would maroon on a spaceship with an ugly baby in a heartbeat. I would just drop him off and just be gone like warp nine right out of there. He's the uh, he's the largely desertable Dan Davidson. And Dan, um, but first, the Tranya. Why do you got to be that way, dude? Why can't you just be nice? That actually was Baylock was nice. That was nice. I could have beamed you into space. Oh, okay. Okay, well, good. Hi. Yes, good to be here. (laughs) Almost five years before we talk about the Corbomite maneuver. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it um, is. So, yeah, it's it's an exciting time. Corbomite maneuver is something that I rarely can say correctly, um, but I'm going to do a good job tonight. I'm going to say it right each and every time. And uh, it's fun to be here to talk about this because, like with you, it's the one that I remember the most when I was coming into Star Trek and becoming a fan. It was the episode that I always thought of first. Uh, and I believe it's one of the, if not the top one, that I chose for uh, best episode of TOS to uh, introduce somebody to the franchise. So uh, I'm glad we're going to be talking about it tonight, buddy. You know, I, I'm glad you said that because I, I think it really is a perfect ep- episode for introducing somebody to the franchise because um, of the messages. Uh, we're going to talk about that a bit later. But first, Dan, you're going to talk about how people could send us their messages over the Internet. 
Yes, it is just so easy to get in touch with us, Bill. Uh, everyone should just head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, where you will find a variety of ways to get in touch with either Bill or myself. You can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and type us out a personalized message. Or to make things even easier, we got a big, giant blue button on the right-hand side of the website that you can click on and leave us a very – see, I couldn't do it three weeks in a row. Just couldn't do it. You can leave us a message with your very own mellifluous voice using SpeakPipe. And don't forget, the place to be on Facebook these days is the official Trek Geeks Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Bring your Trek talk, your Trek picks, and your Trek love over to the site and join over 1,500 other fans talk all things Trek. It is the place on social media where the Trek talk is positive with no bashing or gatekeeping allowed. Plus, if there are new announcements about the Trek Geeks podcast network, you are going to hear about it first in Camp Kittimer before anyone else in the quadrant. To join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, Sarah, and Dan for the amazing job they do running the camp. But please remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Bill. Wow, I feel like I should only have a couple of minutes left. Exactly. You might. (laughs) Well, Dan, before we go any further, I want to do some follow-up from last week's episode. Of course, it was our episode, What I've Learned from Saru, in which um, I I told a very personal story, and I I have a whole bunch of of thanks that I'd like to uh, to offer to people. First, to the multitude of people that reached out to me online um, with their messages of support and their comments on the episode, I am humbled and gratified And uh, just, uh, I am left without words at how many people took the time to tell me that this episode was impactful to them. It, it truly means the world to me. And it's, it's an experience I will never forget. This is probably one of the single hardest things I have done in my life. And to have it met with such, um, amazing response is something that, uh, that, that tells me it was the right thing to do and, and that it can help people. So I'm very, I'm very gratified by that. Secondly, I'd like to thank Lou and John at Fansets. I went to them about two months ago and said, here's what we're going to do. We weren't going to bleep this episode. We made the conscious decision to not do it because I felt that it impacted um, the story. I felt like those words should be heard. And um, we gave them the opportunity to not run an an ad during last week's episode. And to their credit, they said, we're with you 100%. Um, I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Your journey is our journey. So um, we're not bailing on you now. And I I am grateful for that, Tim. I'm going to jump in real quick on that, Bill. Um, I did not know that. This is the first I've heard of it. And, you know, we talk about fansets every week and, and we love having them as a sponsor and they're our only sponsor over on Discovering Trek. And there's a reason for that. And, and what you just told us is the reason they are unbelievable human beings. They are friends. They are people that we love and to know that they had our back, but your back for last week's episode, which I know was so difficult for you to do. And you did a fantastic job. It really just shows uh, what they're like. So thank you for sharing that with us, man. I did not know that. No, my pleasure. And lastly, buddy, I have to thank you. I mean, you had the unenviable task last week of sitting in the chair I normally sit in for stories like that and not getting in the way, um, which is really the hardest thing to do in a moment like that. And I have to give you all the credit in the world. You did a hell of a job last week. It wasn't just me. It was us. And um, I thank you for the care and compassion that you showed during that entire episode. 
Well, it's, it's certainly my pleasure, man. It was an honor to be part of that discussion. I know how, like I said, I know how hard it was for you. Um, there was a lot of things in the discussion last week that that I had never uh, heard before. You've shared a lot uh, with me over the years, but there were some things that were new to me and, and you got through it um, and you're a better person for it. And I feel like I'm a better person for being there with you for the telling of that story. So thank you, my friend. It was, um, it was, it was a difficult, but it was an amazing experience. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Trek show. It's treknews.net. Online at treknews.net. Before we go any further, I have to tell you, so I went to the TMP40 screening with uh, with Brian yes. uh, from from Trek News and mm-hmm. and, and a friend a, a mutual friend and um he gave me a treknews.net button yeah what? you weren't there so you didn't get one so you Aww. suck okay no we had a great time we had lunch uh, we saw the movie i fell asleep <laughs> just like i did as a kid <laughs> i i had to figure it was the best way i could honor my brother who for whom i left an open seat that's awesome and i didn't intend to fall asleep but man i could feel myself going well, you know there's uh, what part do you think it was? Uh, the going through void, V'ger. Going through V'ger. Okay, so I counted before I nodded off. There are 16 different reaction shots in that sequence. So that means they had to set the camera, lock it down, shoot the reaction, cut, print, s- do the next setup. And they had to move around the bridge 16 different times for that. And that's about when I went... I think I'm falling asleep right now. Uh, <laughs> I was out. So anyway... Dan, the news, which is what we were originally talking about first up, we want to congratulate several people from Star Trek Discovery who took home some shiny new hardware recently. This is so exciting. Yes, what a weekend, uh, September 14th through 16th, it was for the crew of the good old NCC 1031. You know, first up at the Saturn Awards, Discovery won for Best Streaming Fantasy Sci-Fi or Action Thriller Television Series. And then Sonequa Martin-Green took home the trophy for Best Actress in a Streaming Presentation. And Mr. Doug Jones won Best Supporting Actor in a Streaming Series. Just an incredible showing for Star Trek during that show. And later on that weekend, Discovery took home its very first coveted Emmy Award for Outstanding Prosthetic Makeup. You know, Bill, we as fans already know the amazing job that Glenn Hetrick and his team do on the show. So I am thrilled beyond belief that it's finally getting the recognition it deserves. Absolutely. Glenn Hetrick, Neville Page, a whole bunch of people that are there to turn uh, talented humans into amazing aliens. It, it is fantastic. And we could not be more proud of everybody. Um, we know they're just going to keep killing it in season three. I mean, the only thing I would love to see in season three are some more acting awards. I mean, Sonequa and Doug absolutely deserve their Saturn awards, but I would love to see an Emmy for somebody. Um, Doug Jones, I'm looking at you. Yes. That's all I'm saying, y'all. <laughs> what was that? Uh, also, Dan, um, in news, if if some if folks out there have not seen the original USS Enterprise uh, six foot shooting model on display at the the uh, National Air and Space Museum at the Smithsonian in Washington, you better hurry. You're going to have to wait a long while. This is bumming. 
This is not good news, but I it's feel like new. they just got it back. I, exactly. That's what I was going to say. It was recently announced that the model used for filming the original series, which has been on display at the Smithsonian, will be removed on October 7th, 2019. So that's only a couple of weeks from when this episode drops. And uh, it's happening because the museum's ongoing renovation of the building on the National Mall in Washington, D.C. As StarTrek.com reports, the extensive research and meticulous conservation that were conducted on the model in the recent past confirmed the need for careful exhibit conditions. The model's custom design and built case features motorized shades to protect the artifact from sunlight, as well as temperature and humidity controls to preserve its wooden structure. In the midst of all the changes underway, neither the case nor the artifact can easily be remounted in another location. Therefore, the Enterprise model is joining a long list of iconic artifacts that will be put off public view for the duration. That's too bad. And the entire renovation project, Bill, is not going to be finished until 2026, and there really is no set timetable for the old girl's return. So it could be on a deep space mission for quite some time, man. So let me see if I understand this. The original Enterprise, hmm. uh, which went on a five-year mission, is going to be uh, out of commission for more than five years. Exactly. If, it, if it's not back up and, sh- and available for people to see until the renovation project is completely finished, it's uh, seven years away, buddy. That's uh, so you want to go to Washington this weekend? <laughs> um, do I have to? <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, if you're not a fan, I guess you're not. no, I'm a fan. It's just Washington, DC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I uh, hear you. I, hear um, you. I, I mean, what the hell are they doing to that building? <laughs> it's gonna take seven years. I'll tell you, let me ask you this. You might be able to answer the question for me. I was at the Smithsonian years and years and years ago, like sophomore year in high school, I think was when I was at the Smithsonian. And there was an enterprise hanging from the rafters on wire. Is this the same one that they've redone and now put in that case? Well, essentially after that, years later, it was in the gift shop downstairs in a glass case. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was for the 50th anniversary or before the 50th that they, they removed it from the gift shop. They took it and restored it. And all those Star Trek luminaries like the Okudas and, and Drexler and all those, um, uh, went down and, and consulted and 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 saw the work they were doing, mm-hmm. and they put her back on display three years ago. I think it yeah, was. Yeah, and it looks great. Oh, it looks amazing. And it's restored back to the way it was, you know, uh, when they were shooting it in the sixties. Yep. So you know, all the the electrical work is on the the port side of the ship mm-hmm. on the secondary hull, and uh, and that was great. And it's been there for a while now. It's right on the main floor, not banished to the gift shop, and now six to seven years. Mm. I mean, you can tell this is a government project. My word. <laughs> That's funny. Did yeah, I say that out loud? It, it's sad. And, and you know, I got to say, I love uh, people go to the Smithsonian and they're posting pictures on Camp Kittimer right next to the case. And it looks fantastic. And I would love to see it sometime. But I guess now I have some time to to get it in my schedule since it's seven years away. Yeah, I guess we'll have to plan a, uh, a welcome back enterprise party for uh, for D.C. that weekend. Trek Geeks Live from Washington, D.C. Trek Geeks Live from D.C. Perhaps from the Air and Space Museum. That would be pretty awesome. Yeah. And of course, we want to thank our dear, dear friends and fans that's for sponsoring this week's episode of Trek Geeks. You know, we absolutely love having the partnership we have with them 
because they simply are the best in the business. Um, for the reasons we stated earlier and for these reasons here, when you order pins or accessories from fansets.com, you know, you're getting a superior product and truly the best customer service around. I mean, that is no joke. They're not, you know, we're not just saying that we've seen it. We believe it because they're fans just like you and me. And it shows in every pin they have to offer. Yes. Every single one. Every single one indeed, my friend. And, you know, I got to say the two latest pins I have added to my collection are a testament to that. And on that note, Bill, I want to thank you publicly for your generous birthday present to me this past week as I celebrated my 50th. I am now the proud owner of two of the three current signature pins from Fansets, that of William Shatner and Doug Jones. Uh, These pins were hand-signed by the actors themselves and are 100% genuine, and they even come with a certificate of authenticity. Uh, The William Shatner and Doug Jones pins, as well as the third in the series, Mr. Brent Spiner, are all currently available at Fanset. So thank you so much for those two, man. I will cherish them. Also available on their website uh, in the only release for the month of September. It's not there yet, but it will be very soon is the Picard family crest pin based on the upcoming Star Trek Picard series. And it is so beautiful, Bill, that it was actually seen on the lapel of one of the uniforms on display at the Starfleet Museum at San Diego Comic-Con and STLV. It is truly amazing and it can be yours from fan sets. Now, We've mentioned previously that we could see Discovery Season 2 Burnham and Travis Mayweather uh, before the end of of September, but sometimes schedules change, so they may not be released uh, in the next couple of weeks. But that's okay, because we know they're coming. That's true. And by the way, I just looked while you were talking about the Picard Family Crest pin. It is now on Fansets.com. Boom, it is on Fansets.com. F-A-N-S-E-T-S.com. It's like they heard you and said, we better put this on. I like that. Very good, Lou. Birdie. Lou Birdie. Now, I'm sure, Dan, that all these pins are going to be worth the wait. But the one thing we're happy to announce today is that a brand new Captain Janeway pin will be released in early October. And man, does this pin look fantastic. I mean, she's even holding her trusted cup of coffee because, well, there's coffee in that nebula. (laughs) Also, toward the end of the month, we may see Commander Non from Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery. So keep your eyes out for that one. Until then, as always, as a special bonus to Trek Geeks listeners, if you want to get 15% off your entire order at fansets.com this week, simply enter the word BAYLOCK at checkout in all capital letters. That's B-A-L-O-K in all capital letters. This bonus code is going to be available until Tuesday, October 8th, 2019 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. Fansets, we are Star Trek, and we thank our dear friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. Dan, we press on into the main body of content for this week's episode, and that is, as I mentioned at the top of the show, the episode that brought me into the franchise, the Corbamite Maneuver. So picture, if you will, a living room in Manchester, New Hampshire, with a console color television Mm. um, and two uh, two brothers fighting over what to watch. There is six-year-old me wanting to watch the $6 million man and 21 year old big brother who wants to watch Star Trek. Gee, who won? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, no, 20 year old. I'm sorry. That sounds all too familiar, man. The age difference is a little bit different at my house, but it was exactly the same thing. I wanted to watch, like I said before, Brady Bunch or Gilligan's Island, but nope. It was Star Trek because Don was the uh, older brother and he got to watch what he won. Thank you, Don. 
Yeah, same with my brother John. I mean, um, he got to to watch Star Trek because, you know, honestly, he could pick me up and throw me into another room. <laughs> I like to pick you up but, and throw you in another room. Hey, hey, now! <laughs> but the very first episode that came on that very first night was the Corvomite maneuver, and I, although I pretended to be annoyed and I pretended to hate it, I was transfixed and riveted because there is the most Star Trek of messages in this second ever televised episode of the original series. It's, it's the one that I always go to for when somebody says, what's an episode of the original series that you would want to welcome somebody into the franchise to watch Corbin might maneuver one balance of terror too, but Corbin might maneuver is always the one that I go to first. And I think it's because I have that connection to it from when I was a little kid. Also, um, there's many things about this episode that, uh, uh, really stand out, which I'm sure we're going to get into all the details later on. But one of the things that stood out to me in my recent rewatch was several camera angles that are never used again in the series when they're on the bridge. And I think that's really cool. There's a whole bunch of things that are used in this episode and never used again, like Spock's high collar uniform. Yes. The one that looks like it hasn't been tailored or Uhura's gold dress. Yes. And Sulu's got a huge collar with a zipper on the side too. A lot of those things, you know, they're still new, still a new show. Uh, they're, you know, they're, they're getting their uh, legs out from under whatever the hell the phrase is. I don't know what I'm talking about. Get their space but, legs. Thank you. Their space legs. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things that it's just like, huh, interesting. We don't see that again, but it's even with, even with the things that are wrong in this episode, which I'll talk about later from my recent rewatch, it's, 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 it's the one, man. It's the one that I always go to for a for a you gotta watch this one to really know what Star Trek's all about. You know, you really do. Um, I it's a shame in a way that this one wasn't the first episode because it does place before the viewer very plainly what humans are like in the future. And you know, when we talk about the hope that Star Trek brings people, and we talk about the positive vision of the future, it gets no more positive than this. Yes, there is an element to this episode that is distasteful, and that is, you know, Bailey's. Um, uh, well, that's Bailey, honestly, because mm-hmm. he's he's just he's not what you hope for in a prototypical Starfleet officer. He's right. got some work to do. Kirk believes he can do that work, but he's just uh, he's 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 not a great character. No, he's not. And and uh, is it sadly we don't ever see him again? Um, and I only say that because if we were let's let's say that this episode took place during TNG or DS9 probably is even better. We know that things that happen in the first season are going to come back later on. So we probably could have seen Bailey and what has been going on with the years that he was with the First Federation and Baylock. We never see him again. We never hear from him again. We don't know what happened to him. Nothing. Bailey could have eaten him after they left. We never would have known what those teeth is. <laughs> you mean Baylock? Oh, Baylock. Sorry. <laughs> ba- yeah, Baylock could have eaten him with those teeth. So, yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah. I, one of the things I do like, you know, is the fact that you know, Bailey gets a chance to become that prototypical Starfleet officer. You know, the one that you hope at the end of the day is going to make the right decision mm-hmm. and represent humanity the way you hope. Um, but it it's a long road for him to get there. I mean, he he's, he freaks out a little bit. Let's be honest. A little bit. Well, a little bit. Uh, there's some stuff going on. Let, let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you think it would be the in the best interest for Bailey, for Kirk to put that huge weight on this guy's shoulders after what we saw happen to him when they thought that the ship was going to be destroyed. I'm not sure if that was a great command move. 
I don't know, but I think yeah. it goes back to Kirk seeing something in him that, that maybe the rest of us didn't see. Mm-hmm. I, I think that Kirk knew that he was going to get a chance at um, redemption for want of a better word, at least as far in our eyes as the viewer. But I, I, I have a feeling that for me, this goes back to, you know, Kirk's ability to assess people in situations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he he's at times more Starfleet than Starfleet. Um, and, and Kirk is that leader. And I think that if he put, I think he feels if he put enough faith in Bailey, that faith would be rewarded. And I think it was. I actually have always, and you know, I, what I said a moment ago, I said half serious, half tongue in cheek. What I've always thought was he kind of, he didn't push Bailey, but you you knew where he was going with, with Bailey staying on the ship because I think he realized that what McCoy had been saying about promoting him too quickly and, and the sound of his voice on the intercom, those things were real issues. And I don't know if Kirk thought he would be able to make it as a Starfleet officer based on everything that happened in this episode. So he gave him an out, but I don't mean that in a negative way, a way for him to shine and represent all of humanity by going uh, with uh, with Baylock. No, that's very true. There, there's a lot of differences in some of the characters here, because you, as you said earlier, they don't really have their space legs here. And one of the relationships that I think is really interesting is the more adversarial relationship yes. between Bones and Kirk. Um, uh, Bones does something really not so great in sort of muting the red alert. Um, at the beginning, yeah, at the beginning of the episode, which is a problem. Um, it's clearly you can, it's in the quarters, the door opens and you hear nothing but red alert. Um, but I have to believe that that's, that's the kind of thing that would not stand. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus he gives Kirk a, a you know, a ration of grief over stuff. Uh, I, I think they hadn't really ironed out who bones was at this point. And it really kind of shows in this episode. It does. I mean, he's, he's dressing down Kirk in quote whispers, but it's on the bridge. And then finally Kirk explodes on him. And it's a perfect example of, of that relationship not being ironed out yet for the entire series. And it changes pretty quickly because we really don't see that again after this episode. Um, And you're right. The thing that I always found interesting was, was the cube shows up in front of the ship and Sulu is, is announcing stuff on the, on the ship's intercom. So it's being heard all over the ship, but yet McCoy's sick bay is completely muted out from everything. So only the flashing red alert signal can be seen uh, in sick bay. And it's like, that's not how it should be <laughs> at all. <laughs> Isn't this a episode where we get the very first, I'm a doctor, nada? I'm a, what am I, a doctor or a moon shuttle conductor? There's some vintage bones in this episode. You know, over the years, I've really developed more of an affinity for bones than I ever had before. Um, And this bones is, you know, having just mentioned Star Trek, the motion picture this past weekend, the bones in that film is in very, in several ways, very much like the bones of the Corbomite maneuver in the way he challenges Kirk at first, you know, um, it's interesting to see that sort of step backward for the character to go forward. Um, but I'm glad that where McCoy goes from in this episode is a place of trusted confidant to Kirk um, in, in much the same way that Spock is, albeit a little differently. I also think that we talked, I, I said a moment ago how we don't really see this McCoy very much after this episode. And I think you can see that change 
in this episode when he actually apologizes for the argument that he and Kirk got into on the bridge. I thought yeah. that was good. You know, I'm surprised you didn't punch me in the face or something along those terms. Um, yeah, I also find it. I've also found it very interesting that McCoy was the first one out of several to pronounce to pronounce Baylock differently than the next person, who then pronounces it differently than the person after that. He was the one who started it. <laughs> <laughs> Balak, Balak, Baylock. <laughs> well, whenever somebody says Balak, and at the same time, I you know it was just a couple of years before I saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm thinking. It locks in this movie. Yeah, no, I wasn't that bright. No, no. Um, this this episode is vintage Spock too. I oh, mean, yeah. you know, we see some smarmy Spock at times. Smarmy, um, yeah, smarmy. smarmy. Um, I think I think it's a collar, but I I have a I, th- I feel like Spock is the character that probably was the most grounded early on. The Spock we see here is not unlike the Spock we see in other episodes. I think he becomes more comfortable with working with humans as TOS progresses. But here the Spock is about what you'd expect. He's, you know, d- d- he's, he's Vulcan to through and through, man. Stand by to photograph. <laughs> <laughs> Check the circuit. I, and, and I love, you know, he has, you know, he's Vulcan, but he has his jabs. You know, you know, suggesting to Bailey that he have his adrenaline gland removed and 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 stuff like that. I and I, I just I think it's interesting to see the Spock character in the early stages like this. I will say in the HD version, which I think is so amazingly done, uh, the, the with the new special effects and everything. Yeah. With, in HD, you really can see the ear makeup. You can actually see some of the uh, the lines of where the uh, latex uh, is on his ears. I noticed that for the first time when I rewatched it this week. <laughs> you know things. yeah no it, it really does i um I, i'm it's funny because i'm reading back at some of the, the quotes from the episode of memory alpha and i just read the he's doing a countdown <laughs> that's a great one <laughs> are you all out of your minds end of watch it's the end of everything i mean <laughs> he just bailey loses it man he should not at that point i have to agree with you i, I think kirk didn't miss an opportunity here he should have relieved him completely yeah. yes Yes. One of uh, that whole scene, there's some great lines, but one of my favorite ones is you have an annoying fascination for time pieces, Mr. Sulu. That's just it's like, it's like, why not just say what you want to say? Dude, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> and well, ultimately, Kirk does really Bailey, but as soon as he, you know, did, he's doing a countdown, I would have had him out of there. Like, <laughs> done, buddy. Gone. Yeah. Hit the showers. Um, I love the timepieces line. Um, it, it's there's a lot of character interplay here that you wouldn't expect in an episode that really is kind of this serious, as you mentioned before. Not a lot of action in this episode. Oh no, not a lot of action. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about your rewatch because this is yeah. the perfect time to do it. We actually rewatched it last night. Sue and I said, "Hon, we got to watch a Star Trek episode tonight," which she's always okay with. So while we were eating dinner, we watched Corbin Might Maneuver, and I don't know if she had seen it before. She probably had, but had forgotten. But I was trying to watch it with an open mind, and man, is this episode boring for the first half? It's so boring that crew members are sleeping. There's one scene in the in the briefing room where they're showing coffee being poured, and Sue's got his head on the desk like napping. 
And all through the episode, you see people yawning. And I understand they're being held motionless for 19 hours and this, that, and the other thing. But Bailey's wiping his eyes and yawning. And and Kirk looks tired. And it, it's I just found it hysterical. So, so halfway through, I'm like, honey, what do you think? And she goes, this is so boring. <laughs> and I said, well, it's going to get better at the end. And it does. I mean, I think the whole message of Star Trek takes place at the end. But for the first, I don't know, 25 minutes, you get some great xylophone playing. I'll tell you what. <laughs> great xylophone. And some play. great, you talked about the 16 different cuts to uh, the crew members of when they were flying through V'ger. There must have been 37 cuts of the different crew on the bridge in this episode. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that 25 minutes could have been condensed into a lot less. And they're all sweaty. <laughs> something wrong with environmental controls. It's 39.1 degrees Celsius, like a Borg ship. Exactly. Nicely done. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Thank you. I, um, I, I think one of the things I've always loved about this episode, you, know, you see the Fasarius come into the screen and how it just appears before the Enterprise. And the Enterprise is immediately dwarfed. Whoa. I mean, it is gargantuan. It almost looks planet-sized. Mm-hmm. And even as a kid in the 1970s, because that shot looked good then. Yes. The remake? Oh. The remastered version is uh, is jaw-dropping and breathtaking. but you get the sense of the grandeur and how, just how big space is Yeah. when you see what is this massive, mighty starship look, you know, like a, like a matchbox car in size to this other ship. It's, it's incredible. It really is incredible. And I got to give all the credit in the world to the people that did the remaster, because when I talk about how great this episode looks remasters, that's the specific scene I'm talking about. When we see it first show up on screen and then just keep coming closer and closer and closer and closer. And it's so detailed and it's so immense. And even when they see it on the view screen, you can see that detail, which we never really saw with the original cut. And that's expected from 1966. Um, But it's just so well done. And everything uh, in the remake is really great. When they're trying to get out of the way of the queue, back in the 60s show, it's just, you know, you just see the view screen and then all of a sudden it's moving in from the side. In this one, you see that the ship's actually in a turn state. The stars are coming in a different direction and you see the cube kind of curve into the picture. It's all done great. The behind the bridge scenes from outer space when they're when they're being towed um, from the small little ship that Baylock is in, it's all done so great and it really adds to the value of the episode, I think, which is why I think the re- you know, the classics are the classics, but the remakes really really make these episodes sometimes and Corbin Might Maneuver is definitely one of those examples. I couldn't agree more. I um, it, it's funny because you know before I've said that uh, the Doomsday Machine was the one that I used to sort of gauge mm-hmm. what I thought of the remasters, and this one is actually number two on that list. To see the Fasarius look even more menacing yeah. than it possibly could have to my very first viewing as as a six year old child it, is pretty jaw dropping. And when you can bring that kind of of feeling back to somebody who's been watching these things all their lives. I think it's pretty special. And this is another one of those episodes that I think people absolutely have to watch remastered. Um, I think they should watch the original version too. Don't get me wrong. But I think you also have to follow that up with a rewatch immediately, the remastered version, because it just changes your perspective. Well, I'll tell you two quick things. Yes. Last night when we started watching it, for some reason, Netflix was acting a little funky on my TV. So I jumped over to um, Amazon prime so I could pull it up on, on that. And Amazon prime's version, I think it was Amazon prime is the original. It is. So the first scene of the Enterprise, you know, 
going through space. I'm like, oh god, I don't want to watch this one. I want the I want the super special effects version. So we finally get um, Netflix up and running. But the other thing that I was going to say to the amazing attention to detail in these remakes. It's very subtle, but it's awesome. When the giant Rubik's Cube is right in front of the starship and it's spinning, you see those different lights reflecting off of the hull of the Enterprise. Yeah. And it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Rubik's Cube. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. It's funny because um, I used to have a, uh, a, a model of the, um, the motion picture Enterprise in my room. And in the 80s, I also had a Rubik's Cube. And I would reenact the Corbomite maneuver with the Rubik's Cube. <laughs> Very nice. Very it's, nice. Uh, you know, Secrets of Childhood. That's okay. I, I like Secrets of Childhood. You know who has uh, just an, an amazing amount of varied dialogue in this episode? Who's that? Not Uhura. <laughs> no, although she does Alien say frequencies open like nine times. But it's also the first time she ever says it. It is. And it, she could have done the whole series without saying it again, and it would have been enough because nine times in one episode is kind of a lot. <laughs> well let's let's talk about you know the the maneuver at the title of this episode the corpomite maneuver mm, yes um and really it's the first time we get star trek's reliance on the game of poker in the universe because poker winds up becoming a thread yes it does and this is actually not the first time corpomite gets mentioned in the or this is the first time yes. corpomite gets mentioned in the original series but it's not the last time that's right Corbin Mike gets mentioned. Um, yes. Kirk decides to to really just put on the acting job of a lifetime and scare the hell out of Baylock, making him think that he's just going to blow up the you know, his ship, their ship, the entire sector, and nothing's going to be inhabitable for a long, long time. And I'll tell you what, he goes from just you know pulling this bluff to basically saying, "Go ahead, call my bluff, shoot." I dare you. It's like yep. that guy with the battery on his shoulder back in the commercials during the time of Star Trek. Robert, Robert Conrad. Yeah, Robert Conrad. Yeah, and and it's it's interesting how he talks about it, and we're saying this because of our, our value of all life forms, so we're going to warn you about this, but if you don't believe us, go ahead and do it because we're, we're getting bored with this. It, it, it was like, wow, he's really pulling out all the stops. And it works. It works really well. And I, I, like you said, I love how they bring that back in uh, on, during the Enterprise incident, I think mm -hmm. it is, when he talks about Corbomite again. It is. This shows you the type of commander that Kirk is. You know, the, the Man Trap, the episode that premiered the week before, doesn't necessarily give you that good a sense of the type of leader that Kirk is. But, you know, here they are. You know, there's this unknown threat. They've been essentially promised certain doom. And Kirk's like, okay, well... We're pretty much going to die anyway if, if this goes wrong. So, um, all right, let me bluff you. And I, I think it shows why he got command of a starship at such an early age. It was interesting to me that even Spock didn't really have an answer for what to do in that final two minutes. Um, he even said, logically, I, don't, I, I really don't have anything to give you, yo. That's pretty much what he was saying. Um, and finally, <laughs> yeah, I said that. Was the yo part of it? I think it was cut from the script, but originally it might have been in there. <laughs> Here's something that's interesting about that time frame where they're waiting for death pretty much before Kirk comes up with his plan. He relieves Bailey when there's uh, less than seven minutes left or less than eight minutes, one or the other. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. So Bailey gets relieved and he leaves. And then, so McCoy goes with him and then McCoy comes back and they argue and anytime you could bluff me, doctor, and all that kind of stuff. And then when there's like two minutes 
Bailey comes back and asks her to return to his post. So he was really only gone for like less than five minutes. Did he need a little timeout, a little yeah, breather? In the bathroom or something. I don't know. Um, got a gas bubble. A gas bubble. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag space gas bubble. <laughs> I, I noticed that last night. I'm like, wait a minute. He just left a couple minutes ago. Yeah. Why does he think he can come back? He was relieved. Yeah. Yeah. And Kirk's like, uh, permission granted. <laughs> well, do you think it was because Kirk figured, well, if, if we're all going to go, die. what does it matter? Do you yeah, think that be was your, it? Be at your station. Be a man. Yes. Permission granted. Maybe. Yep. Okay. Yeah. But I thought it was funny. One of the things I love is that um, they get on the, the transporter pad to beam over and they're told to crouch down. And like, no, I, yeah, lower. Okay. So they crouch down super low, you know, like, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, like they're going to get beamed into you know, the closet under the stairs or something. Mm-hmm. And um, they beam over, but they take one step. <laughs> they're all standing up straight. And, and they can stand up normally. Couldn't the transporter operator just move uh, 18 inches to the left? Don't question perfection, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a question I have asked every time I watch that. I'm like, wait a minute. They step into the next room and it's, well, it's the engine room, but not that we're supposed to know that. Um, but it's a uh, little cramped over there, sir. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, move the move the transporter beam over five feet there, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right, though. It's, it, it makes for some great drama because McCoy hits his head. <laughs> at least it's not like scotty hitting his head in, uh, in star trek <laughs> yeah oh god please um one of the things that, that that we just have to talk about is the ugly baby <laughs> and okay i know it's he's not really a baby it's it's clint howard <laughs> as baylock but for decades now i've referred to him as the the ugly baby on the ship how old was he when he did that um i don't know his voice sounded great <laughs> you're an idiot um you know when you realize that that's a puppet that is used um it's really kind of an interesting facet to the script that this this being said yeah no one's going to take me seriously in this mm-hmm. mighty ship so i have this sort of dummy that is going to intimidate other people. And he's this gregarious, loud laughing, ugly baby thing that drinks, ugly baby. Um, <laughs> drinks Tranya. And his, his persona seems so different than the one he projects to view screens. Um, uh, the, the one is all about intimidation. The other one is all about, Oh, let's have a drink captain. <laughs> Which interestingly enough, well, I've always thought it was orange juice. It's orange looking. It's grapefruit juice that they used in that scene. Clint Howard hated grapefruit juice, so he had to pretend to like it when he was drinking it, and he really hated it. I did have to put some gin in it for me to like it. My word. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I, 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 it's interesting that he knows that no one will think he's very formidable in his real form. So he has to use this opposing, this imposing looking puppet that for some reason on the view screen looks like it's underwater. I never really got that part, but that's okay. Um, but uh, yeah, I, th- I find that interesting that he even knows that he has to do other things in order for people to take him seriously, which is kind of 
it's another one of those things that Star Trek is so good at bringing real life things into focus for us to concentrate on and how just because you might be small or just because you might be young doesn't mean that you don't have any idea what you're doing or that you're stupid. And I think that they do a great job of putting that into focus in this episode. By the way, Clint Howard born in 1959. So when this was shot in 66, he what? was uh, seven, six or seven. 59, 7. Yes, I said 11 because math is not hard. Uh, math is not hard. Not, so I should have been able to get that one. And I just did. It's the I just finished my drink. So that's probably why. Your pear martini. Yummy. In fact, he would have just barely turned seven because they started shooting this in uh, May of 66. He still had all his baby teeth. We know that. <laughs> and they were gangly. Ganglia? <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Boba Fett, where? But, uh, I, will, I will say this. I will give credit to clint because he mouthed the words for all of his lines so great that the dubbing is really pretty flawless they really did a great job of of putting that voice over for him it was good yeah it is as 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 weird as he looks um because i really have a hard time getting past that that ugly baby (laughs) thing um but I, I have to say, I really love that scene when they meet Baylock face to face, because what is it about? It, it's what Star Trek is about. It's about understanding. It's about finding out more about somebody that I don't know yet. It's about being willing to admit that we can make mistakes, but we can learn from them. Yep. You know, um, in fact, what there's that line, uh, Baylock says, well, you represent Earth's best then. And, uh, and Bailey says, no, sir, I'm not. I'll make plenty of mistakes. And, and I think that's really what it's all about is Bailey gets the freedom to be human and make the mistakes that, that he's going to make. Mm -hmm. And through it, he's going to develop an understanding with Baylock. And that's ultimately what's going to bring those, our two species together. And even as a seven-year-old, six, seven-year-old kid, I could recognize that, you know, in, in the mid 1970s. So I think that that's, I think that's a very special quality of this episode and and very very Roddenberry very Star Trek. Yeah, they don't have to work very hard to get their message across. I and mean, even as us as kids are able to understand what the message is about, and that's a testament to the writers because they're able to do that regardless of the age of the audience. And that's another reason why I think it got so popular uh, um, as as it was being shown in reruns through the seventies and became you know you know what we see today. And it's because of stuff like that. You know, was it Mission Log says that you know this is who we say we are. Um, when it comes to this episode, um, it, it's, it, it's timeless, you know, even some people talk about how it looks, you know, kind of dated and, and kind of cheesy with the, the sats and, and the hair and the uniforms. But if you look at the message, it's what you've seen all throughout Star Trek. And this really is the episode that sort of planted that flag and said, this is what Star Trek is world. Here I am. And Every other series to date has taken that flag and run with it. And it started here. It did. The other thing that started here is we, we, we found out about this um, or got more detail about it when we were up at uh, Ticonderoga with James Colley doing the set tours. And what's the name of the company that NBC also owned? Was it, it wasn't RCA. Was it, was it RCA? Well, RCA owned NBC. Yeah. And the re this episode really shows the desire to show those bright colors 
color TVs were just coming out and they really wanted to make a splash with these new color TVs. So the uniforms are, are, are really focused on, I think, for the colors in this episode more than later on. The lighting really highlights those colors very well. And this was the first one that really did it. Mantrap, I don't think, really did it as much as as um, as this one did. And uh, that was done purposely. Well, and the Rubik's Cube, too. I mean, yeah. Yep. It is the, the most colorful object the Enterprise ever encountered, short of Apollo's hand. Sure. Um, oh, yeah, that's <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, but you know, it looks beautiful on on a television. And certainly yeah. as a kid, I was transfixed by it, you know, on my color television, which my parents had. So there's so many good things to to appreciate in this episode visually and story-wise and and we start to see some of these relationships starting to take the turn towards what we're used to in later seasons. So that's one of the reasons why I also appreciate what this one is like. It's one of the it's one of the building blocks for the for not just the original series but all of Star Trek and I think they uh they really do a good job regardless of how boring that first 20 minutes could be and uh the xylophones coming out your butt. It's really something. Whoa. Hey, yeah. I hope it doesn't come to that. I just could just, I fell asleep listening to that last night. You know, there's something else we learn about Kirk in this episode that I think is really important to his character. You know, stereotypically he gets a, a bad rap for being a womanizer, you know, a, a, a woman in every port, that kind mm-hmm. of deal. But, you know, he, he has a line to McCoy, you know, where McCoy is essentially wondering, you know, when he's going to go after Rand. Yeah. And, Kirk says, I've already got a female to worry about. Her name is the Enterprise. Right. Um, it says to me that Kirk has the utmost respect for his captaincy and for Rand because she is his subordinate. Um, he, for, for whatever stereotype people want to apply to Kirk, he has rules. Um, he has a, a code that he follows. And um, uh, it's good to learn this about him early on that he... He, he kind of is an unassailable white hat in a sense in, in this episode. And he does maintain those qualities through a good chunk of the series. Yes, he falls in love many times. Yes, there are times where he has some hookups. But um, all in all, Kirk is, Kirk is really not the, the shameless womanizer that, that people would have you believe. No beach to walk on. Right? <laughs> no beach to walk on. Yeah. yeah. Um, it is interesting, though, the guy who um, – I, I agree. That was a stereotype that I never really agreed with. And and several people that we talked to don't really agree with that, but they had no problem having that strapping young lad shirtless for the first five minutes that you see him on screen. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and it's really interesting when you watch this episode, how young Mr. Shatner is in this episode. I was just going to say that. Amazing how young his, you know, the hair and the facial features is really something I, I love I love Shatner's performance in this in this episode. He has a whole range of emotions from, you know, getting upset with McCoy to showing, you know, concern for Bailey and then and then letting Bailey make the choice, um, which kind of gives you kind of a good feeling at the end of the episode. It's, Shatner does a good job on this one. I'm going to say you know, Captain Kirk's pretty hunky in this episode. I'm not going to lie. Oh, he's he's a, a pretty good looking dude. And, and like yeah. you said, he does hit the full range of emotions. He does show true leadership you under like i said earlier you understand why he's been made a captain at such a young age um and ultimately he makes the right decisions um you know we it's debatable whether or not he could have made some of these sooner but ultimately we we develop a relationship and an understanding with an alien we've never known before and that's really the enterprise's primary mission 
you know, to, to seek out these types of situations and explore the galaxy. So it's, it's an episode that you're right. It's not the greatest episode of Star Trek. It's probably the one that, that is the greatest to show first timers, but it certainly is one that just, I'm always going to have in my heart is one of my favorites because it was my first. And, and honestly, it's the one by which we set the standard. It's the one where we say, this is Star Trek. Um, and, and, and everything else I, I think hopes to be as good as this in that sense. And, and truth be told, Bill, you never forget your first. So it's, it's one that you always remember. I know I do. I, I, it's just, it's fun. It's like I said, there are some boring parts. Yes. But you know what? If this episode is on TV, I'm stopping what I'm doing and I'm watching the rest of it, no matter where it's at, because it's just, there's a lot of memories and it stirs up a lot of memories as a kid. And um, it is that one that you want people to watch if they're going to watch Star Trek for the first time. So I'm glad that uh, it was worth the four and a half years to talk about it because it's it's such a great episode. If it's on, I'm going to watch it 100 times out of 100. I mean, it's not even a debate. Um, I, I, I'm transfixed by it every time I see it just because it's 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 episode numero uno. I mean, it's, it's the one I saw. So uh, speaking of firsts, we've mentioned some other firsts that occur in this episode. This is the first time we see the red tunic, by the way. So That's my, right. my beloved red shirt, the first time we see it mm-hmm. is, is in the Corbin might maneuver, which I think is pretty cool. Also the short sleeved, uh, doctor's tunic, the shiny one. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah. I dig that one too. I, um, it, it, the ranks apparently were more refined for this episode, which I'd like. Uh, and Kirk finally wears the captain's insignia that he wears for the rest of the show, which is pretty cool. Um, I, I, I love so much about this episode, um, that now I just want to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm okay. <laughs> you know what? Let's do another one of the, one, the, the, uh, um, but we do comments about it like we did with Mary. We could do that. Uh, Trek Geeks Theater, yeah. Yeah, Trek Geeks Theater would be awesome. I'd be up for that. Um, wow, okay. Um, I'll, I'll put that on schedule. Yeah, we should. We got to do And the Children Shall Lead, though, too. No, we don't. No, we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. So the other first in here that I really love, and this is just one of those deep cut things that, that, that Trekkies around the world love. In so many episodes of the original series, there's that two shot behind Sulu and the Navigator. Yep. Um, where you see the view screen and then Sulu turns and looks back at the captain's <laughs> chair. It's familiar. The first time that ever happens is in this episode mm-hmm. and it was filmed by Bob Justman. Um, and they reuse that shot so much. Yep. Um, at the point where they, they did a similar cl- clip with Walter during season two, but this, this is the first one. And it's, it's really kind of interesting that the, I never really thought about that before that had to start somewhere. Yeah. And this is where. Yeah, you had the first and onlys, um, and not the onlys of of uh, Mary. Uh, was it Mary onlys? No, I don't know. Anyway, um, the the shot of Kirk coming off of the turbo lift, and the camera follows him onto the bridge and stays behind him. We don't really ever see that again. And there's one particular shot of Spock at his station, standing up, and you can see the not the lights from the set, but the above the set, just pieces yeah. of whatever. I don't even know what it is. You never really see that shown again either. Um, and 
they they look a little rusty those those the way that those are shot but at the same time there's a little nostalgia in there for me i like seeing them whenever i watch this episode it's funny when we walked onto the set in ticonderoga um i was behind you so i had that viewpoint of the camera behind kirk <laughs> walking on the bridge yep. and so and my brain immediately went to that because that's really kind of how it felt to me that's it's cool. the first time we got to actually go through the doors and enter the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, uh, I'm not going to lie, I, I was nerding out with little fanboy geekdom in my own brain going, oh my God, this is so cool. It's uh, just like Corbomite. <laughs> Corbomite. <laughs> well, um, this is an episode that uh, that we just always love. I, uh, there's, I, I really have nothing to hate about this episode. And not that I really hate things about episodes, but... Uh, you've mentioned it's a little slow in the first 25 minutes. That doesn't really bother me. No. Um, I, I, clearly, with the number of times I've watched this episode, it, it yeah. hasn't bothered me once. But uh, um, are there any other moments that you absolutely love that I have forgotten to call out? No, I think we've hit them all. Um, it's it's interesting that there's uh, one thing that I find funny, not just a favorite moment, but um, is when they're waiting for – for doomsday to ha- to happen and the, the countdown is going on Rand just shows up with coffee that she heated up with a hand phaser <laughs> so it's like we're all about to die but let's have some coffee first i just thought that was kind of funny it's just kind of like a that we need her to do something in this scene so let's just do that and i just it was like that's so pitiful how does a yeoman get a hand phaser i just i, I want to know this I, I, how does a yeoman get clearance to the bridge with hot coffee um well let's just assume that kirk wants coffee on the bridge for the moment, but the hand phaser. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What do you do? Bring a pot of coffee down to a weapons locker and just hovering over me. Yeoman. That's another good line too. Well, then does she get rid of the phaser in the garbage chute in the hallway, which is really the question. That's a very good point. Or maybe she hides it in the red alert light in his quarters. (laughs) No, it could be there for a long time. Oh, you can tell that was a budgetary thing. Let's just put it in the red alert light. Let's just do it there. Yeah, absolutely. So many good things to love about this episode, whether we laugh about them or not. It's just so great. You know, last week we talked about my childhood in a very different way. And and this episode makes me think of uh, some of the best parts that I loved experiencing in my childhood because many of them are tied to Star Trek. And it just blows my mind every time that this is the episode that started it all for me. My love of this franchise over, you know, 45 years goes right back to this episode on channel 56 in Boston. And all I can do is smile when I think about it, man, because um, this episode is sacred ground for me. And um, I know it's, it's not the first episode. It's, it's not the best episode, but it's mine. I I can't agree with you more, man. It's the same thing for me. It's, it's, I can, I can remember um, my maneuver makes me think to when I would go into the dining room of our house where we had on the wall, the device to turn the antenna. Cause we had an old style antenna. Oh yeah. So we'd have to turn it a certain way for 56 to come in. And even though I didn't want to watch it, I can remember doing that so that it would come in. And I think of Corbomite Maneuver when I think of childhood memories like that. So it's very cool stuff. It brings back lots of, of great memories growing up. Uh, that and the ugly baby. God. <laughs> not nearly as good as Matt. Not nearly as good. People will find out shortly. But Dan, in the meantime, um, we do want to thank our friends, the band Five Year Mission. They who were featured today on Star Trek.com. Yes. Very cool. Um, for you know, starting to work on their year five album, 
was a fantastic article reviewing sort of the the history of the band and their songwriting as and their other albums. You really got to check it out. We've we've posted a link on the Trek Geeks Facebook and and Twitter and um, obviously you can go to StarTrek.com and see the article right there. But those are the five guys that provide every bit of music you hear on Trek Geeks. And now also they're the hosts of their own podcast on this very network, which we're very excited about. But that's five year mission. Please go buy all their CDs. Let's support physical media and show these guys how much we love them. Get a copy of year one, year two, year three, year four, and get ready for year five. Because I imagine that's going to be pretty special when it happens, Dan. That's at fiveyearmission.net. Yeah, and I want everybody who is listening to this podcast to jump on Twitter, tag creation, and tell them to get five-year mission back as a house band for STLV. They got to be there. It is not a true STLV without five-year mission on stage playing every day. So you got they got to do it. But you know what, Bill? We haven't talked about Deep Space Nine in a long time. And, uh, you know, leave it to Quark to jump the gun, to shoot from the hip, to act without the facts. You know, when he learns that he is only a week to live, he sells his 52 discs of vacuum desiccated Quark in a quick money-making scheme to help the band with their expenses. Then he learns it was a mistake, but a contract is a contract is a contract. And also in this episode, not that important, but Keiko's unborn baby moves into a new home after a runabout accident, and namely, it's Kira's belly. So yeah, check out season four's Body Farks. It's a good episode. There's some good humor. Brunt, Jeffrey Combs, 52 discs. All the good Body Farks, ladies and gentlemen. I said it here. Yes, Body Farks. No. Thank you. No. <laughs> You've done a lot of Farkisms in the last four and a half years. And that almost four and three quarters years. And that was probably one of the worst ones I've ever heard. You say that every week. They get worse and worse <laughs> and worse. Did you even try with this one? Oh, I, 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 I had impersonations and, and quotes and <sighs> body farks. Body farks. Everybody else loves it. Why don't you, Bill? Don't forget, you can also support the Trek Geeks Network and podcast by subscribing to bonus content on Patreon. You get exclusive content you're just not going to see or here anywhere else. Get the first of our annual supporters pins and even uh, check out some raw unedited audio of our podcasts along with a whole bunch of other perks, Dan. A lot of other perks. Um, right now, though, we would like to take a moment to thank our associate producers of Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support and they include Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Ron Robel, Brooke Horton, Christina Werther, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. <laughs> what was that accent? I, uh, no, it's not. It's my, I'm coughing like crazy. Oh, oh, okay. All right. I thought you were trying to do something like Conrad Hutchins. That's like movie announcer voice. We also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Patrick Escudero, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ben Russett, Corey Stone, Ken Bird, Jamie Rogers, and the lovely and talented Scott Vashon. We're going to have to have a no new show just to list all of these producers and associate producers pretty soon. It's a great problem to have. We're so grateful to each and every one of them. 
Absolutely. So grateful. But you too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Network. Head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today for more information. Next week, Dan, the evolution of artificial intelligence in today's world is one thing, but what we've seen in Star Trek can be truly mind-boggling at times. Yeah, you can say that again, buddy. From Landru to M5 to the Oracle, all the way up to Data and even Zora. AI and Trek has been something that has been a constant to the benefit or even the detriment of our Starfleet friends. So next week, we're going to discuss artificial intelligence in Star Trek on Trek Geeks, the flagship podcast of the Trek Geeks Network. And Bill, um, I have just one question. Yeah. How do you feel? How do you feel? How do you feel? Never mind. Yeah, no, thanks for stopping that. that was, yeah, thank you. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I, I'm feeling worse and worse every time you say that. <laughs> of course, <laughs> Body Farks. For more great Star Trek discussion, I want everyone to check out our other member podcast, the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Polytrex is a brand new episode out. There's a preview for Rewind, a brand new podcast coming to the network. And of course, five-year mission, the podcast. That's right. We kind of space balls the title. Um, but uh, Mike and Fark are talking about real or fake this week. And it is a very, very funny episode. We recommend you check it out. That's all at trekgeeks.com. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode one. Uh, pa, pa, pa. <laughs> uh, I, I saw the I saw the tunnel. I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. I just started racing for it. There Didn't think to engage the brain. For now, this has been episode number 192 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. And we will grant you 10 earth fruits known as coconuts. <laughs> See what I did there? Body fart. <laughs> Body fart. I'm Baylock. Welcome aboard. And McCoy and Bill. Sit. Be comfortable. Go ahead. Be seated. We must drink. This is Tranya. I hope you relish it as much as I. I know, I know, a thousand questions. But first, Matranya. Gentlemen. Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and discoveringtrek.com. Bing bong. Shamwell. Bing bong. Shamwell? Shamwell. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm talking about. Hi. Hi, buddy. <laughs> What's going on? Happy birthday oh, to you. Moogie. I understand that song is copywritten, but I don't care. Happy birthday to you. I'm just going to do the whole thing. Happy birthday, you big friggin' jerk face. Your face. <laughs> Your face is an enemy. <laughs> Your face is the enemy. <laughs> Happy birthday to you.
Well, thanks, man. Um, I can tell you right now, to, probably to the delight of of our uh, listeners, I will not be doing that for you in a couple weeks. At least not as anyone other than my favorite. <laughs> You're gonna Aaron Neville me. I'm gonna Aaron Neville happy birthday to you. I I I've got that all queued up already. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> so I'm not even gonna give. No, I'm not gonna do no, it. No, no, don't, don't. It's it's like it's like touching the Stanley Cup before the game. You don't. Do and it. I may even have something special for camera, but you'll be able to see. So so yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate that. That's uh, that's very nice of you. Um, that's my pleasure. Uh, I'm just, I'm happy that you're now uh, a decade older than I am. Okay. That's the way you want to look at it. I guess. Hey, I'm still in my forties. Go to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And you're acting like a little child too. Okay. Uh, Anyway, 12 days and I'm going to love each and every one of them. That's right. And I'm going to hear about them each and every one of them. That's all right though. That's good. That's good. So, uh, what else, you know, today's only Thursday as we record this. You know, we're mm. recording a little early this week. I am exhausted on so many levels. Yeah, same it's here. Long week. I have not been able to get out of my own way all day. I had a coffee this afternoon. In fact, I'm yawning right now. Sorry. Oh, there you go. That was there we go. Had, That's how you podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I had a coffee this afternoon. An hour later, I was falling asleep. I'm like, oh my god, what the it's hell's kind of, going on? It's kind of like a lot of the crew in the Corbin might maneuver. It's kind of like you whenever you open your mouth. I fall asleep. <laughs> So I just opened my mouth and he fell asleep. Yeah. yeah, great. Hey, look what I got. Isn't that nice? I know we talked about it in Patreon, but. So you said it's a, it, it, there's Patriots inside the glass yeah, too? Is it I the can... logo or is it the, it, the logo or yeah, the words? Yeah, the logo. Let me see if I can get it. To see. There you go. Oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, isn't that pretty? This, I found uh, this in Kohl's of all places years ago. Did and you get Kohl's cash? It's glass, probably. <laughs> probably got like 80 bucks worth or something like that. But And it's glass. It's awesome. I, Drosen hit me up on Twitter DMs today to talk about Cole's cash. I thought it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, like you said, how are they still in business? How are they still in business? Don't have any idea. Don't I don't know, dude. But I got some great some new dress pants from Cole's just the other day, and they're, they're fantastic. They're yeah, cool. that's exciting. Um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, no one cares. Nobody cares about anything. I say what? I don't even know why we're why I'm here. I might as well just leave. What? Chicken butt. I got a I got a Scotty uh, um, Funko dude. <laughs> Funko Pop. Funko Pop. My sister got it for me. He's cute. He's got a little phaser. <laughs> Does it look like Alex Trebek? No. 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 Doesn't look like Alex Trebek. No. 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 She and flat. Oh, I just read this online today. He still hasn't been an insurrection. <laughs> oh. I was no. going to watch it again just to be sure. Yeah. Well, that is just the weirdest thing. You know, I love my sister, but she comes up with some weird <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> she grew up with weird. <laughs> Wait, I have to, I got to mark that down. And bleep yeah. That. You got to bleep yeah. that out. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Sorry. Little <laughs> way to go. Jerk. You're not on Patreon right now. I know it's going back and forth. You know, I just want to swear when I'm around you. That wasn't very good one because I. I'm like, That's right. I'm sending it to uh to Mumphrey, who's at dinner with Chris Trebuzio and Amy Nelson right now. Oh well, that's cool. What's up, Vegas peeps and Mumphrey? Mumphrey's in in the Las Vegas. In the Las Vegas. Wow. In the seven hundred two, y'all. Is that the area code? Yeah. I don't. I don't know area codes very well. I know six hundred three. That's only because I've been to Vegas like a hundred times that I know it's seven hundred two. Two hundred seven seven one six one seven one seven zero one. What? 
323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. We would love to hear your voice. Uh, and one of the, and one of the episodes of Mission Log, Ken actually had to provide a disclaimer. It's like, no, I'm not being sarcastic. I really would love to hear your voice. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, those funny guys over there at Mission. Log. I was I was catching up the other day, and I heard that, and I almost drove off the road because I thought of you. That's too funny. I do like I do like impersonating me some Ken Ray or Ray or Ray. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So Corbin, my maneuver. Mm-hmm. I can't, uh, you know, it's really weird to talk about because I mean, this, this was my gateway into the franchise. Yeah. And it's uh, been four and a half or four and a half plus years that we've been doing this and we have not dedicated a, an episode to it. And whose fault is that? That is yours, Mr. Executive Producer. Oh, <laughs> I just told, oh, told, I was, told me we're doing it. So I was going to say somebody else. Oh, all right. You know what? It's Amy Nelson's fault. No, I was going to say, um, <laughs> I was going to pick just anybody. I'm going to say it's Nancy Pelosi's fault. Oh, all right. Oh, wow. All right. Or uh, Mitch McConnell, anybody. It's somebody's fault, not mine. So it's it's always somebody's fault. And nobody ever owns up to their own problems. So, yeah, let's well, just blame everybody else. You always blame the guy who's not here, right? That's right. the rule in every meeting. It's Barry DeFord's fault. <sighs> that guy can't do it. Not Shashank, because we love him. Yeah, Barry. God, jeez. I, I don't even know what he's doing on the network. I blame Canada. <laughs> okay all right we're just kidding barry we love you you silly freak <laughs> silly freak <laughs> a we love a. you a you yeah. silly freak eh? i'll tell you what there uh i was out there in the cold and i was watching them turkeys go by and i heard dan and bill talking about that on the trek geek so i thought yo that's it i saw an eagle <laughs> <laughs> oh wow so for those people just listening um they just heard a Baylock impersonation <laughs> that was recorded by uh, my, my, my dear, dear friend, your friend, Matt McGonigal, mm-hmm. whom I've known since the 1980s uh, in high school together. Um, in the years that he was in college when we were, I would go to his dorm and we'd watch Star Trek. Um, the Corbin White maneuver was always the one he loved to imitate and he would always do his Baylock voice and it would have me in stitches. So funny. Especially the laugh. The laugh is what sells it. And he does it at about 110 decibels. Yes. So uh, always, always hilarious. Maddie, we love you. Thank you so much for doing that. The first time I heard the laugh, I think we were having dinner at a restaurant in Manchester. <laughs> we, we were. And he was 110 decibels. And I was like, holy Christ. <laughs> it was awesome, though. And then you laughed so hard, you almost spit out your drink. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Which I don't like to do because I don't want to lose any of it. But he's that funny. He's a funny man. Oh, so and that's been my entire friendship with him is that kind of laughter. So that's awesome. Yep. Ge- cool. Definite genuine brotherhood. Love you, big guy. That's so cute. That's so that's so beautiful. I know. Uh, You're beautiful. Your face is beautiful. I know. You, you know? <laughs> what are you, Han Solo? Oh, very nice. Or as as people who don't follow the franchise might call him Han. Hey, Han Solo. Hey, Han. Ham sandwich? Ham sandwich. So I started watching The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm about half. I'm about halfway through it. Mm-hmm. It is a gorgeous film. Very good. It, Very the good cinematography film. is the best in Star Wars. Yep. Um, the uh, the special effects are fa- so the fantastic. Some of the, some of the shots are so simple, but just so gorgeous. Um, but the story is putrid, and it's got three storylines. It's not telling any of them well. It's a it's a huge disappointment. I'm hoping that they end it on an up note. 
I don't think it can get any lower because I agree. I'm not a fan of the last Jedi. I did not like it. I was not thrilled with it at all. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm hoping that, that this last one, uh, takes out, uh, pulls all the punches, so to speak. It was the first star Wars trilogy movie. I didn't go to the theaters to see. Um, um and I'm watching it on Netflix. Okay. And I'm glad that I waited. Okay. I haven't seen any of this trilogy. Uh, no, I saw force awakens in the theater. I didn't see, uh, I didn't see last, uh, whatever the hell it's called. In the theater. I waited. I saw force awakens in the theater and I vowed after that, I'm not going to another one of these movies in the theater. It's not worth it. Actually, my parents went with us to see the force awakens. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I don't know. My dad probably didn't understand what's going on, but <laughs> you neither did you. No, You're not meaning, that bright. Meaning he just thought he doesn't know a lot of the star Wars stuff. Not that he didn't understand what's going on. Like he can't. No, that, that's more your story. Yeah, exactly. Like right now. I don't know yeah. what I'm talking about. That's fantastic. All right. You are you ready to do this trick? Let's talk yeah, about some stuff we actually love. Actually, okay. So I was talking to myself today. No. <laughs> I talking to yourself. I hate you. It's good that we're back in the saddle, not for this, yeah. this 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 silliness. Tree hugging stuff. All right, ready? Yeah. Let's do it. 